Welcome to Best Picture This, where it is always Oscar season. I'm Mike. And I'm Brian. In the show, we reevaluate every Best Picture nominee from the 21st century and decide whether to keep it or kick it from its Oscar pedestal. And today, we're going to kick them all, temporarily at least, because although the Oscars doubled their number of Best Picture nominees to 10 in 2009, mm-hmm. they still couldn't find room for one of my all-time favorite animated films. The movie is Coraline. The director, Henry Selick. Here's a trailer. Coraline Jones always dreamed of finding a better world. A world more exciting than this. But never did she imagine that she'd discover it in her own home. been waiting for you, Coraline. Where parents are always fun. I love your garden! Can't believe you did this! And everything is so good. What's shaking, baby? It just can't be real. Mom? You're just in time for supper, dear. You're not my mother. My mother doesn't have... buttons Do you like them? I'm your other mother, silly. You probably think this world is a dream come true. My name! But you're wrong. You do like it here, don't you, Coraline? You could stay here forever. There's one tiny little thing we need to do. Black is traditional. (gasps) She's got this whole world where everything's better, but it's all a trap. You may come out when you've learned to be a loving daughter. From Henry Selick, the director of The Nightmare Before Christmas, comes a world of extraordinary imagination. (laughs) Spooky secrets. Who are you? You're in terrible danger, girl. And daring discoveries. I still have to find my parents to set them free. This year, when adventure comes knocking, some doors that should never be opened. Coraline, written for the screen and directed by Henry Selleck, presented in Real D3D. Real D3D? The Real D3D is one of the very few things about this I don't like, is that it's so obvious the moments that are shot for 3D where like hands will come right toward the front of the camera. Hmm. They're very distracting to me. I don't like them. I only watched it in the old fashioned 2D and I, I mean, didn't even notice So that. did I, but <clears throat> you can tell when they're setting up those They're just doing it on shots. purpose of that, yeah. Um, so also the voice of that trailer, um, it just, I, I got like a little whiff of movie butter popcorn just listening to that. <laughs> That was great. The I good old if, days. I wonder if that's what he felt. I wonder if just like he's walking around the house and you kind of smell that. Yeah. It's his cologne. Following him around. Um, this movie was nominated for Best Animated Feature Film, but it lost up. But not Best Picture. Not Best Picture. <clears throat> the box office uh, was pretty good to it. It was made for $60 million and made 124 
Um, Rotten Tomatoes gives it a 90 and Metacritic an 80. We're going to talk, we're going to do some questions, talk trivia, keep it or kick it. You got any questions over there, Mike? Oh, I've got questions. So more than 500 people worked on Coraline over four years. The principal photography alone took 18 months, and it took that long because the crew used puppets and stop motion. Everything was handmade, not CGI. Mm -hmm. Team of 35 animators worked on the film. On average, each one would complete 2.22 to 6.52 seconds of footage (laughs) per week. Mm-hmm. So your experience, do you think all that work was worth it or should they have just done it through a computer? It reminded me of um, Team America, World Police, <clears throat> with the attention to detail of the little tiny practical things. Um, I would bet that Team America was made much quicker than this, though, because yes. they're, they're using marionettes. And... Yeah. I mean, it's, anybody can make a movie with marionettes. Oh, simple. Yeah. But... Um, yeah, I I really admire the practical. The feeling of it is uh, is I don't know. It's kind of thrilling, really. The the um, um a world. I mean, a world is being created. The fictional world is being created by Neil Gaiman, but it's a completely different feat, actually, which take took a whole lot longer to do and cost a lot more money than Neil Gaiman's. But um, yeah, it's. I mean, it's like a marvel of ingenuity, whole thing. There's a, um, one of the details that I thought was pretty cool was a, uh, um, I actually had some of the, some of the similar, uh, kind of goes into my question also. Um, one crew member, let's see, where am I, where are my notes here? So the flames were done with traditional animation and they're painted digitally the fog was actual dry ice, you know, so they, they're mixing some of the things in there, but one crew member was hired specifically to knit miniature sweaters <laughs> and other clothing for the puppet characters, sometimes using knitting needles as thin as human hair. You have to be really good at knitting. You do. To do that. <laughs> I mean, and the thing is these, these things are sometimes in the shot for just like seconds. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's pretty, it, it, pretty remarkable. It just all contributes to this tactile feel that you don't get from almost all of the animated movies that come out that yeah. are so smooth looking and glossy up included, which we did our last episode on has that. And I do love the look of, up. Yeah. it's a very pretty movie in the balloons and the house image. What a great image, mm-hmm. but you could tell that it's 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 digital and it's filtered through that sort of machine. This looks like it's handmade and that adds. What exactly does it add? This is another question I have. What does the form do for the story and the themes? For I, one, I think that that and Fantastic Mr. Fox is another animated movie this year that, you know, caused or was a, you know, high profile Wes Anderson directed it. Um, so, what and I, I kept thinking about that with Fantastic Mr. Fox. What does it do for the story, as opposed to just being a really <clears throat> cool experience? Like it's like you're walking through, you know, a ride, um, and, and you see all the detail that went into it. Um, that's one experience. That's probably it's it's good enough. You know, it's just like an artistic experience to see it. But why did they choose that form to tell this particular story? Do you think? Well, for one, I think. 
because it is cool because yeah. it's different and it's original it's like why paint a picture of a tree if you can take a, a pick a picture of it mm-hmm. you know it's that it's that sort of difference of experience um the other is because it adds immediate personality to the movie which i think gets deeper and deeper the, the more you go because there's an uncanniness here like nothing really looks or moves quite right yeah there's they're kind of uh i mean the stop motion aspect of it it's kind of it's a little herky jerky and um you it, it's kind of in a way it's maybe it's more transportational it's like you have to you you know that you're in a different kind of world here because the world looks so you know different with just the tactile nature of of, of the objects yeah it, it's a little bit unnatural but then you settle into that just sort of as she goes through the portal into the other mother's layer and mm-hmm. then from there it just the uncanniness kind of just gets it it just compounds. It goes on top of each other as the other mother's character design devolves into more of this like metallic spider mm-hmm. thing and everything gets more horrific. You know, things like when YB comes and saves her at one point and you could see that the other mother um, sewed his face into a smile yeah. because he wasn't smiling enough before. That just looks, you could tell that it's like fabric you know, that's kind of pulled and distorted mm-hmm. rather than just drawn into a smirk. So when she kind of pulls that thread out and it loosens, I don't know, it just feels more, I'm going to go back to that word tactile. And so you kind of almost cringe a little bit at the thought of, Ugh, I think it also, through your lips. I think also in this, I mean, similar to Fantastic Mr. Fox, it, it kind of creates an illusion that this is a children's world, you know, with like toys and, and, you know, this is a make-believe, people made a clay or whatever, something like that. And then when there is a, um, when there's more of like a, a scary moment or like 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 that, like someone's mouth getting shown, sewn shut, it seems to maybe even be scarier because it's, it's uh, juxtaposed with this kind of childish form. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that could be also part of it. I don't know, I don't know that I really have a, really clear answer to this but it's definitely engaging um the i think all of that stuff contributes in kind of the same way that practical horror movie effects are so much better than digital Mm -hmm. gore effects because even if you can get except for the mist except for the mist well you know but (laughs) even if you can get something in digital that maybe even looks rear realer you're you're missing that kind of gooiness that that it's like yoda's ears they're supposed to look rubbery and and a little floppy yeah when when they're when they're digital and clean it and and um just doesn't quite feel you need them to look organic so that even if it doesn't look like this world it looks like something recognizable from this world Mm -hmm. so we can kind of project onto it when it's digital you know that you're looking at something that's you know filtered through machines and it's just not scary it's kind of ironic that it actually is easier to suspend your disbelief with something that looks fake, but like a real object as opposed to something that looks slicker, but you know, it's digitized. So the, yeah. And there are exceptions. I mean, there are, uh, there are tons of effects in, in movies that we don't even realize yeah, are because, digital they're so because they're so good and because they're not so highlighted in the center of the frame. Like this is the big effect you're looking at yeah. when they're just uses complement complementary pieces, then that's fine. But 
you know, if the fly was, was filmed digitally, it, it just wouldn't work. How about Jurassic Park? Uh, I think they did both. Yeah. In Jurassic Park, and that works like a charm. But if it was all digital like the new ones, I'm not sure that you would get those same fear moments. But then again, the new ones aren't made by Steven Spielberg. So it's, you does, know, it's it's kind of hard. To, does the digital work better in Jurassic Park because it's kind of a technology versus, uh, you know, humanity theme? I think that's a little generous. <laughs> a little bit. I think that it works so well there because it's complementing the puppets and everything that they're using so they can establish that organic look and then build on it and you already sort of have accepted that it you know is real so let me uh ask a question maybe you can answer this for me or maybe maybe not but the ghosts tell Coraline that the only way that they can be freed is by retrieving the essences of the souls. And then Coraline goes to what I read in Wikipedia as the Beldum. Maybe Beldum. That, maybe that was part, maybe that was the name for the other mother in Neil Gaiman's novel. I'm not hmm. sure where that came from, but maybe that's what it is. That she's supposed to go and propose a game to this other mother spidery kind wow, of character. That scene is amazing. And she's supposed to say, and so she makes a deal that if I go and get these, then you have to free everybody. Um, so I guess I just, I, I, I struggle, you know, I like to have rules. I like the rule. I like to know the rules. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like, there were times in this, especially toward the end, where it was supposed to be the most intense, that I wasn't exactly sure what the rules were of the game and who was enforcing it and why did it actually happen. Um, for example, <clears throat> now some of it is just like, okay, the mystery is the mystery, and it's we just have to say that's part of why you know this fantasy dream world kind of, um, we have to accept that that's what it is. But like, <clears throat> no one ever said there has there's a certain time limit for the game. So there's like a sense of urgency. And the only reason that there's a sense of urgency is because when Coraline looks up and sees the moon, there's an eclipse that's starting to happen. With a button. And then you've realized it's with a button, which is awesome. Yeah. And I guess that's like the button is closing your eye as though you're like looking out. I don't know, maybe. But no one... I mean, in a way, that's kind of genius because it's so economical. You don't have to explain anything. Yeah. Everybody understands that because that eclipse is coming, there's a time pressure. Mm -hmm. But yet, there isn't really a rule. So I, I don't know. I guess I couldn't really decide if that was kind of like holding me back from, you know, fully experiencing that kind of those like intense horror moments or whether they really should have explained a little bit better to help the poor unfortunate soul like me, which that was also something that came to mind a lot was little mermaid and like <clears throat> making a deal with the, uh, as my son calls her, the scary grandma, the granny of Ursula. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> the granny. So your question is, uh, did I need, need more, more explanation exposition? of what is more explanation of what is at stake and why she's going to become her soul's going to be taken somehow if she doesn't do this. Um, and why going to find these little globes 
is actually going to physically free the other ones. Mm -hmm. You know, what are the mechanics of this, this thing? So a couple of thoughts. One, that's my least favorite part of the movie. Whenever, whenever a story devolves into, you have to find three things. Yeah. Then I'm like, oh, it's so tiring. Because then after you find one, you know, you have two more and the countdown starts in your head. Yeah. And I think that's a very it's, boring way to... It's a device. It's been done a lot. And so it feels kind of artificial. But Yeah. So that and the 3D effects are probably the only times that you're going to get me to criticize. Um, <laughs> I'm glad I found movie. one. Those are my two. That's exciting. Um, but as far as explanation, no, I, I didn't really need it. I think that you could simplify it down to just... It just buys her more time to figure this out because her parents are there. She knows that these other three kids' yeah. souls are there, and the souls are in these little globe eyeball things. What, what about the doll? <clears throat> There's a doll that looks like Coraline, but it has button eyes. YB finds it, gives it to her at the beginning. YB, by the way, is not in the novel. She just kind of thinks to herself, and this was she needed somebody to talk to, mm-hmm. so the filmmakers made that made him. The doll watches her. Yes. Figures out what she's unhappy with in her life. Where did Wybie get it? From his grandmother's house. And you'll notice in the very opening sequence, um, it's her, I don't know. He said that his grandmother's sister was taken basically by this other mother. And in the very opening sequence, that doll of his grandmother's sister is kind of unstuffed and turned inside out and then made into a Coraline doll Mm. and then kind of floats out of a window. So then they find that doll in the house and then he brings it over to her. And this doll then maybe came from that other mother person. Yeah. Um, I got the feeling like they had, yeah. Okay. Well, it's basically just like a, a demon puppet, you know, it's, it's one of her underlings that, Spies on her. I get that it must have been from her, from the other mother spider spider granny, but um, <laughs> but um, spider granny. But like, why it ended up in Wybie's house? Um, you know, ahead of time it was almost like she was. It was foreseen that she would end up there, and I don't know something like that. But that was again. It was like I, I just had this little bit of separation from it because I didn't really understand those things. And again, I guess we're not, we, maybe we don't have to understand everything, but it made me think of, you know, another one of my favorite, you know, one, one of the movies that are the scariest and, you know, gets me that's intense is Silence of the Lambs. And part of that is because you at least somewhat understand why Hannibal Lecter is the bad guy. He's like, he's a psychopath, you know, and he's a serial killer. So he wants to go kill people for sport and have this game in a way. And I guess, you know, at some point you have to then say, well, then why didn't they explain exactly why he was that way? You know, there's some mystery that's left. And that's the mystery of the unknown. The fear of the unknown is partly why I think, um, you know, things are scary. But um, there's just a lot that's left unknown in this story. Maybe it's in the novel or maybe I just need to stop asking these questions. Yeah, maybe more of it is in the novel, but I think with with her first of all i like when there's when there's mystery yeah. with with horror and with villains i i kind of don't want to know too much about them because then that's when you start asking yourself logical questions well if a plus b then why you know why not c um where i think part of horror 
is supposed to be irrational, you know, so you're kind of yeah. supposed to just let your emotions do the work rather than your brain. I think that's Neil Gaiman's kind of um, what he's going for in a lot of his, a lot of his uh, stories. But also she's kind of eating these kids in, in some kind of way. The, the kids' souls give her strength to kind of build her, her world. But, but why? How? Because that's what evil things do. Evil things do evil things. <laughs> hurt people hurt people, Brian. I want to know why it works. <laughs> that's what I want to know. But it's also, you know, Alice in Wonderland. It's the same thing. See, do we ask why the queen keeps chopping off heads? It's because she's an evil queen and she chops heads off. See, I usually when I ask questions like this, it's because... That part was cut out because it was clear played, but that's not the case in no. this movie. <laughs> it would be funny if there were parts that were cut out. <laughs> Who knows? Coraline. There could be, but I'm pretty sure I'd, I turned them all off for this one. I went, I went all the way on Coraline. Wow, unfiltered, <laughs> unfiltered PG. Okay, so Roger Ebert gave the film three out of four stars. He called it a beautiful film about several nasty people, as well as quote, nightmare fodder for children, however brave, under a certain age. And so there's, I think that's why he withheld one of his, his precious stars from Coraline. I don't know. Do, is this movie, what, what is the age group that you would say that you would think that this movie is uh, directed to? I would say fun for the whole family is a good starting <laughs> point. Um... My four-year-old, by the way, totally loved this movie well th there he was you go. watching it with me but my seven-year-old wanted nothing to do with it okay. so it's some of it's just personality yeah. and you know some kids are gonna like it and some aren't but yeah for sure it, it comes down to the kid i think my four-year-old might have some problems though i think he likes <laughs> scary stuff a little too much good tell him to call me i'll give him a <laughs> list of recommendations um i'll put it this way that um charlotte i think was seven when i showed her this and she watched it all the way through but she was like oh that was creepy and then she watched it with me this time nightmare fodder so you willingly gave i forced her a seven-year-old like a clockwork orange i kept her eyelids <laughs> open to make her watch this thing but also not to sound like you know an old man but are we coddling our kids i mean even when i was a kid i was watching things that were much scarier than this Things were PG that nowadays would well, be Well, that R. is true. The PG and PG was uh, quite a broad, um, you know, rating back, yes. back in the day. And, and I like Pixar films, but I think that they've set a certain standard that kids' movies have to have talking animals in them, and they have to just <laughs> be feel good from start to finish. And the conflicts are not ever the really house all too bad. The house cannot end up on its side. It has to end up right side up at the end. Yes. And they're um, all very bright. They have a certain aesthetic to them. But that really wasn't the case 20, 30 years ago. I mean, even if you think about fairy tales, that's kind of like oh, yeah. where Grimm's kids' stories all started. Pretty... And they are horror stories yeah. from start to finish, <laughs> every single one of them. <laughs> so so I, I don't know. On the one hand, I get it. This might be a little creepy for kids, but is it the worst thing in the world if a kid gets a nightmare? If a kid from, has a few uh, nightmares a and is scarred for life, I mean, what's the big deal? If a kid is scarred for life <laughs> from watching Coraline, it's time to toughen up. <laughs> I liked the <laughs> parenting guidance from Mike Cavalieri. Um, if uh, I did 
also think a lot about the body horror again with this movie, you know, the distortion, the distortion of the bodies was and the voices fantastic. First of all, Mm -hmm. like it, um, the, the, the Russian, you know, circus guy who's basically like a sphere with really long legs coming out of him. Yeah. He was just fun to look at. Um, you have the, uh, and, and then the, you know, Coraline with the eyes, like to think you, you, you get creeped out. Like, you know, I'm thinking like you have to start to imagine what it'd be like to have buttons sewn over your eyes, Yeah, you know? And um, the super long neck of the dad, you know, it's kind of like the hunchback, but like, uh, I don't know. It's it. The creepiness of the bodies was pretty was pretty engaging to me too. Yeah. At one point, the dad gets kind of all bloated, and he's talking yeah. in sort of slow motion as he's riding his lawnmower and mm-hmm. sort of chasing Coraline. I think at one point, the neighbor, Mister B, who you're talking about, has the big circular body mm-hmm. with the long legs. He's just kind of a suit made of rats in the inside. Yeah. 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 Oh man, she says something like, "You're not the real Mr. B." And he's like, "I'm not even that anymore." And then the rats just kind of yep. spill out of his clothes and his clothes fall to the floor. That's just great horror stuff. That's good stuff. stuff. That it's, is good stuff. It's just great. It's just great. So Leica, the company who made this, mm-hmm. also made Paranorman after it, mm. which is kind of an even more direct um I don't know, homage to horror as a as a genre. There's a lot of Night of the Living Dead stuff and a lot of other references in there. Um, and then they made the box trolls, which is a kind of weird and Kubo and the two strings. I still haven't seen that, but I think I, Oh, it's so good. I think I might have it. Actually. It's so one much. that I haven't heard a lot of people talk about yeah. and it's not really horror, but there are moments in it that are super, super creepy. Mm-hmm. So this is a company that definitely loves that, that style. They really like to freak out little kids. They really, and I'm, and I'm totally, totally <laughs> I, here Remind for me it. not to go to your house for trick or treating. <laughs> I'd hate to see what what you uh, do at the front door to scare children. So my last question before we wrap this up is there was a lot of interesting horror released in 2009. Just to rattle off a few, we have House of the Devil, Drag Me to Hell. We have Jennifer's Body, um, Zombieland, and then crazier ones like Thirst um, from Park Chan-wook and Trick or Treat, all this kind of stuff. I know that you probably have not seen these. Mm -mm. Have you seen any of them? I have not seen any of them. Drag Me to Hell is on my Netflix DVD queue. Okay. But so I guess I can't ask you if Coraline's the best horror movie of 2009. <laughs> you could. I, you could if you I want. I won't get a straight answer. But I guess <laughs> Do I'll you just think it is. I'll say for me that it might be my favorite on this whole list. I really like House of the Devil and I really like Drag Me to Hell and I rewatched Jennifer's Body. I have a new appreciation for that. Hmm. And really I like all of the ones on this on this list. Um there's something about Coraline. It's just such a kind of an oddball, mm-hmm. rare thing. And I love it partly for that. And I also just love it for being kind of unapologetically what it is. And if some people are going to not like it, it kind of just says, well, you know, we're going to spend four years making this anyway. Yeah. And I love that about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's certainly one that has a bold original vision and is unflinching in carrying it through, which I can you know I have to respect that part about it. Got to respect it. Um, just one other quick point about this, uh, Henry Selick. I was looking up what else he has done, and he has something coming up that's coming out. Um, if you're watch, if you're listening, I don't know if it's going to be. We might this episode might be out by the time 
this comes out, but October 28th of 2022 on Netflix, there's going to be a show release called Wendell and Wild. Have you heard of this? No. Um, Henry Selleck uh, directed it, and Jordan Peele is one of the writers. It's animated. Hmm. Um, it's a PG-13 movie on Netflix, and it has it has the voices of Jordan Peele and Keegan-Michael Key as well. Huh. So that should be a fun I, one. I'm officially intrigued. Uh-huh. And Selleck also directed A Nightmare Before Christmas, and I think James and the Giant Peach. Yes, I saw right. James and the Giant Peach on his. So what, what role did Tim Burton have in Nightmare Before Christmas? I thought somehow he was connected to it. No, I th- he. It's one of these like. Is Tim that Burton like a presents, P- Is that like a Peter Jackson presents District Nine? I don't kind know. Of thing? He might have made some of the uh, character designs or had the story by or something like that. Yeah. But I'm I'm pretty sure it was Selleck who directed it. Hmm. Keep it or kick it. Top five. Top ten. I'm gonna I'm gonna say top five. Top this five. one. Yeah, I'm gonna be true to myself, Brian. How about you? I'm going to be true to myself as well and say it's not in my top five. Um, I really, like I said, I admired it for all those reasons. I don't know if it'll make my top 10. It's kind of a borderline one for me, but glad I watched it. It was a fun experience. Um, in the next episode, we go to another horror movie of 2009, <laughs> The Blind Side. Now, if I see your top 10. The true story of a high school football player and his amazing adopted mom, played by Sandra Bullock. If I see your top 10 and the blind side is above Coraline, (laughs) we're going to have some problems. Well, I haven't seen the blind side since 2009. Pretty sure I saw it when it came out. Yeah, it's fine. I I watched it the other day. It's It's completely fine. You loved it. Yeah, until then, find us wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on social media. And for 16 years of golden takes, head over to letterbox.com slash Mike Cavalieri. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash best picture this. Thanks to WNZF and the illustrious Mark Gilliland. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And thank you for listening to Best Picture This, the miniature sweater made with knitting needles as thin as human hair of film criticism. Chicken!